Hey, this is Jerry Aiken, pastor at Pierce Chapel in Columbus, Georgia. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast, wherever you may be. I hope that you find the word presented here engaging, informative, and challenging in your walk with Christ. Please check us out online at piercechapel.com. I'm going to be reading from 1 John, not the Gospel of John. Uh, This is chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the father has sent his son as the savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the son of God and they abide in God. So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God and hate a brother or sister are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this, those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. If you have uh, watched the the midweek meditations that... uh, we put on the church Facebook page on Wednesdays. What I'm about to say will probably sound familiar to you because I shared this a few weeks ago. Uh, but, but Thomas Aquinas was a doctor of the church several, several centuries ago. And one of the things that he was known for saying was that um, anything good that, that we take note of, that we understand to be good, is perfection is found in God meaning things like love, wisdom, truth, mercy, justice. We all have ideas about what these are, but the purest form of all of those things are found in God and God alone. God is the fountainhead of all of those good things, and anything that we understand uh, comes down to us from God. 
And so this passage says God is love. Now, I know in some circles and especially in sort of a new age culture, that's been sort of watered down to indicate that maybe God is this universal feeling of love that we all experience in our lives. That's not what this passage means. This is not saying that God is a feeling we all experience. It is saying that God is the source of what real, true, pure love looks like. And even at our best, even in our best expressions of it, the the best we can hope for is just merely reflecting God's character, God's love. And this passage tells us that that was put on full display in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, when I say something to you about the king of rock and roll, who do you think about? Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley. Everybody says that. Now, several years ago, somebody made the argument to me. They said, you know, Elvis should not be the king of rock and roll because he didn't write his own songs. He didn't invent the genre. He wasn't the first to do it. He, um, he played the piano and the guitar a little bit, but he wasn't very good at it. Really, if you want to say somebody is the king of rock and roll, it should be Chuck Berry or Little Richard or one of those pioneers. Well, I had a, a good friend. He's, he's passed away since, but I had a good friend that uh, was a huge Elvis fan. And I know there's a lot of Elvis fans in the world, but he was the biggest. <laughs> and I asked him once, um, I said, Bobby, what do you think of that? Do you think that Elvis is the king of rock and roll? And his answer surprised me at first. He said, no, Elvis was not the king of rock and roll. And then he looked at me in the eye and he said, Jerry, Elvis is rock and roll. <laughs> so Elvis Presley, I mean, the whole thing, the, 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 the dress, the, the music, the, everything to, to him uh, completely uh, just was a symbol of what rock and roll stood for. And in the same way, Jesus is the ambassador of love. Jesus is what we see. When we, when we see God's love perfected. And that's what this scripture tells us. And it says that anybody who professes to be a follower of Jesus, anybody that wants to, to live like Jesus has called them, wants to be truly called a disciple, they have to recognize how God's love was put into action through Jesus, and then they have to live in the same way. It's a pretty tall order, I know. And it's more difficult than we understand. Because love... Uh, at least according to the scripture, at least according to what God reveals to us through Jesus, is not how we would necessarily define it. It's not how the world would define it. And we've been in this series where we are talking about aiming for holiness and how uh, the world has, uh, has these ideas of what things should look like, what we should be doing. The world even has ideas of what the church should look like. But really, God has a truth revealed to us through Scripture and through the person of Jesus. And it calls us into this this straight and narrow path that is not like the people shouting on this side and the people shouting on this side. It is a path of holiness and a path of perfection that, that God is calling us into. And that means that that love that we live into is different than what people over here or over here or over there or out there may be saying. The world has two different ways of seeing the church. 
And we will struggle with this. We, we will struggle against them. And, and it's up to us to exemplify the love of God in a way that proves this wrong. Because sometimes their, their theories are proven correct. The world, first of all, they, they could see the church. They could see Christians as angry, intolerant, militant. That, that's a perception. And it's a very real perception. Uh, when I was in seminary, uh, me and, and another fellow student decided we were going to relaunch the abandoned and defunct um, evangelical, Candler Evangelical Society. And uh, out of all the, the teachers and professors there, there was one who said they would support us, they would be our faculty sponsor. And I remember he, he pulled us aside and he said, listen, y'all need to know um, the word evangelical, it holds some, some connotations that it didn't used to. And so if you're going to put your name on something and say we are relaunching the evangelical society, there are going to be people who hear that and in their mind, they think angry white man. And that's what they're going to see you as if you, you're saying you're the, the president or vice president of the evangelical society. And I heard him say that, and I was kind of like, okay. We held our first meeting, and we had this huge turnout. We had like 40 or 50 people gathered together in this one room. And I thought, this is great. I mean, men, women of all races and ages. And, and I just thought, well, there's a hunger here. People want to see, you know, this evangelical society on, on campus again. And as we went around the room and one by one, person by person said why they were there, we found out that most of them were there to make sure when we said evangelical, it didn't mean what they thought we meant. And then once they found out, then they, they left. And for every other meeting after that, we had like four or five people. <clears throat> you see, the world has an idea, one idea, notion of the church, that we are angry and outraged and shaking our fist at the world. And so we have to love in a very compassionate, and a very Christ-like way to show that that's not the case. That's not who we are. Because it shouldn't be who we are. If we are called to follow Christ and love like Christ, we should not be this angry, outraged, militant group of people that's just mad at the world and, and, and ready to, to condemn it. But then on the other hand, there are people who say the church is so loving that they should just be resigned to whatever happens. Watered down in our love is how I like to put it, meaning that we love everybody so much and so widely that um, everything's okay. And we're not really going to take a stand on anything because no matter what you think or what you believe or who you claim to be, everything's okay because love. And that is not the love that Christ lived out either. Jesus was not a pushover by any means. We see this over and over again as he is confronting some of the most powerful people in his community. Jesus was not a pushover. But yet, people tend to think that the church were either angry or were doormats. And neither should be the case. Now, you can look at Jesus and say, well, you know, he did willingly allow himself to be beaten and bruised and crucified. 
And he did say, if someone slaps you, turn the other cheek. What about that? Well, let's talk about that passage for a second. First of all, we hear that in a very different way than Jesus' culture would have heard it. For us, it just sounds like, let somebody slap you around. But in Jesus' culture, uh, we, we have to understand that it was common practice. It was accepted. It was legal to be able to backhand somebody that was in a station, as long as they were in a station lower than you in life. Meaning, if you were a master who had a servant, or you were a boss who had an employee, even if you were a parent who had a child, legally, it was perfectly acceptable for you to backhand slap them across the cheek when they needed to be told something. What Jesus says is if that happens to you, if someone backhand slaps you and puts you in place and reminds you that you are at a lower station than them, rather than being angry, rather than retaliating and slapping back, if you turn the other cheek, you actually take control of the situation. Because then they have a choice to make. They can either drop it and move on, or if you turn the other cheek, they can take you up on your offer and come back and hit you with the open hand. If you slapped somebody with the open hand, it meant that you acknowledged them as an equal. So then, by you turning the other cheek, you have given them the choice to either escalate this situation, but in doing so, to acknowledge you as an equal and opening themselves up for assault charges. Or they can choose to let it go no further. Jesus wasn't saying be a doormat. Jesus wasn't saying just be resigned and weak and wimpy and let people do whatever to you. He was saying in the moment, use wisdom, act out in love and not anger, and in doing so, you will take back the power. You will take back control over that situation. And so when we look at Jesus going to the cross, this passage talks about his sacrifice that he made for us, and we realize that in doing what he did, in allowing himself to be beaten and bruised and crucified for us, he too was taking power away from darkness and every kind of sin and even death itself. By handling the situation with love and sacrifice, he won. He claimed victory over these things. And so we see that love is not about shaking our finger and being angry, but it's also not about just saying anything goes. It is about allowing the will of God to take place, acting rationally, compassionately, but in a place that allows love to be victorious over the situation. Let me give you a real-life example. Imagine that you're at the grocery store. Or imagine that you're at Walmart. That's, that's even worse. Imagine that you're at Walmart and you've got your grocery cart and you get up to the register and the line is not moving. So you're standing there for a very long time. Five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. You're starting to get aggravated. And then somebody comes and just cuts right in front of you. 
you have a few choices to make in that situation. You can get angry. Whoa, 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 what are you doing? Ah, uh-uh, ah, buddy, back of the line's back there. I've been standing here 10 minutes. And you're escalating the situation. Or you can be a doormat and just go, oh, oh well. And then you're going to stand there and wait even longer. But if you can find it within yourself to act compassionately, to say in love, hey, I know it's kind of a mess up here, but actually the line starts back there, and I've already been in it for a while. But I see that you only have a few groceries. If you're in a big hurry, I can let you go in front of me. That's turning the other cheek. That is taking the situation and putting it back on them. Do you want to continue to cut in front of me, knowing at this point that you are doing wrong? Or do you recognize that I'm acting in compassion and you you can take my invitation? I've sacrificed something willingly. I've sacrificed my time. And as, as, as disciples of Jesus, that's how we're called to live. Not, not that we need to be doormats and let people run all over us, but, but to live sacrificially, just as Jesus did. To be willing to think of ourselves less often and others more often. And in doing so, we're not losing control. We're actually loving in a very radical way. And we're showing the world that this, this holiness that we're called into, this set-apartness that we're trying to live into, it's, it's a radical different type of love. It's a kind of love that, that puts ourselves aside for the sake of others. And in doing so, we're not weak. We are actually changing the situation for the better, for the greater good, and to God's glory. This past week, Claire and I were able to go see a concert. Um, we, we saw a, a guy, you may or may not know him. He's, he's not really played on the radio. He's, he's, an, he's a Christian artist, but he's also on his own label, independent. His name is Josh Garrels. And, uh, and we saw him in concert. And one of my favorite albums of his is called Love and War and the Sea Between. That's it right there. And so we saw him in concert. Great experience. If you know me, you also know that I love listening to vinyl records. And so when we got to the theater and I saw that this album was on vinyl, I said, I've got to get that. And so I did. Well, when I got home and I opened it up, I pulled out the, the, that big, beautiful 180-gram black disc, but it was in this envelope, uh, and, and there was something in there that Josh had written himself that was kind of like a reflection, his thoughts on love and what he was thinking as he recorded and wrote many of these songs. And it said something that's right at the heart of this scripture. He said, love by its very nature is vulnerable and self-sacrificing, is selfless. But, he says, love is God's most powerful weapon. How can something be vulnerable and fragile and selfless and yet still be God's most powerful weapon? Because he says it is because of love and through love and the love displayed in Christ Jesus that he was able to defeat sin, anger, hatred, darkness, and even death itself. And that's how we're called to live. Not to be weak, 
but not to be angry. Not to be doormats, pacifists to the degree that we don't ever stand for anything, but also not to be rigid and cold. The love of God put into action through Jesus Christ demonstrates what real sacrifice looks like. And that sacrifice leads to victory. When we talk about sacrifice and we consider uh, the men and women who've served in the military, and we acknowledge that as they write their, their name on that line, when they commit to that, they are making a sacrifice. They are doing so out of love for their country, out of love for their family, out of love for their home. But in doing that, they are realizing, they are recognizing they have to lay something down for the sake of what they truly love, for the sake of each other. And it's the same thing when we talk about the Christian life, the believer's life, to be able to say, I'm willing to lay something aside because I know it might cost me, I know it might hurt, but in the end, it's going to help lead to victory and it's done so out of love. And that's the difference between sacrifice and just resignation. What are we going to do in the grocery line or in the traffic line or when we get to to lunch today and there's people cutting in front of us? How do we respond? Do we just let it go? Do we get angry? Do we try to find that middle way, the straight and narrow path that is different and radical and says, I'm going to love and I'm going to self-sacrifice, but in a way where God gets the glory. There's a big difference between being a doormat and then being a Christian who sacrifices. One means being a pushover, but the other means living as an imitator of Christ who is willing to sacrifice for us out of love. We were not made to be angry, resentful, joyless people either. We were meant to love. We were made to love by a God who loves and who is love. And he put that love into action through sacrifice of his own son. God will not be taken advantage of. We cannot snatch salvation from him. We cannot snatch grace and love from him. Atonement and forgiveness and salvation cannot be demanded. It is freely given to us by him because he alone has the power to give it. And that's sacrifice. And it's when it's in our power to do the same and sacrifice for others, we should do likewise. Please pray with me. Lord, you know that we have failed uh, along every point of that spectrum. Uh, we, we have at times in our lives been the angry, fist-shaking, rigid people who just want to make other people see how it should be. And then there are other times in our lives where we have overcompensated the other direction and we have just said, for the sake of love, anything goes. But Lord, you do not call us into either of these extremes, either of these ideas that the world may offer us. Instead, you call us into this path of holiness, this this path of being different and displaying radical love. 
Love that is rooted in truth and in compassion. Love that is sacrificial without being resigned. Love that claims victory even as we understand it to be selfless. Lord, it is so difficult for us with all of our emotions, all of our our passions, all of our ideas. It is so difficult for us to live into that perfect love. But remind us, Lord, you put it on full display through your son, Jesus. And if we truly aim for holiness, if we truly aim to be imitators of Christ, then that is the type of love you call us into. Continue to work in us, Lord. Continue to perfect your love in us so that we may be imitators of Christ for this world. It's in his holy name that we pray. Amen. Thank you again for tuning in to our podcast. Please be sure to subscribe and check us out online at piercechapel.com. And now may you know the peace, the power, and the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ in your life. Go to love, go to serve, go in peace. Amen.